Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 2nd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about some movie and TV news, including Roman Polanski being a character in Quentin Tarantino's new movie and the role Tom Cruise might play in that film, J.J. Abrams' mysterious new TV show, a TV adaptation of Gone Baby Gone, a new starring vehicle for Leonardo DiCaprio, and some images of a black April O'Neil in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have hit the internet. Uh, my name is Ben Pearson. I am the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and joining me today is SlashFilm's weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys. How's it going? Um, so let me ask you, I, I sort of teased this yesterday. What are you guys doing for the Super Bowl? Anything special? Uh, Brad, how about you? Uh, I'm just going to get together with some friends and have some Super Bowl food and watch the game and also be on- online to post any of the upcoming Super Bowl spots from various movies that will be debuting during the game. Yeah, that's a good point. We have um, a list right now on, <laughs> you know, an internal list of a bunch of movies that are, are supposed to be debuting trailers or, or at least new bits of footage. Um, and I'm wondering, HT, uh, do you have any movie trailers or, or TV trailers or anything that you're looking forward to uh, seeing at this year's Super Bowl? That um, mysterious solo trailer, if it ever drops is supposed to drop on the super bowl and then have a longer trailer uh be released monday morning at on good morning america so i'm really curious to see if this this trailer this famous trailer actually does appear during the super bowl (laughs) yes uh and brad i'm sure you're super interested in that as well since han solo is like one of your favorite characters right uh yes cautiously anticipatory i guess would be the best way to put it since i don't really know how this is going to work out i think if anything i'm more excited to see either the mission impossible trailer or the westworld season two trailer ah cool yes so you guys can uh, be sure to tune in to slashfilm.com over the weekend we'll have all of those trailers uh, posted on the site as soon as they go live um oh hd are you doing anything special for the super bowl i cut you off there <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I usually don't do anything. My friends and I have been kind of doing a small gathering where we get together to watch the Super Bowl, even though none of us have an interest at all in football. We just do it for the commercials. <laughs> but this year, we decided to push it back to just do an Oscar party instead. So nice. I'm not doing anything this year. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty much going to be just uh, taking it easy. I might have like one or two friends over and we'll watch it and see how it goes. But uh, let's jump into the news. So let's start off with uh, Quentin Tarantino's new movie, which annoyingly still does not have an official title. So we just have to keep calling it Quentin Tarantino's new movie. Um, HT, what are the latest updates about this film? Yes, so Quentin Tarantino's upcoming untitled movie uh, that's not about the Manson family murders, but is actually about the year 1969, has a few new details that have been unveiled. So this comes from Variety's Justin Kroll, who said on Twitter, um, the role Pitt and Cruz have met on is for that of a stuntman, not prosecutor. The Leo character, Leonardo DiCaprio, is also Tate's neighbor in the pick, and Roman Polanski will play a key role in the film. Quentin Tarantino is going the discovery route and wants an authentic Polish thespian. So when he says Roman Polanski will play a role in the film, he means as a character because Roman Polanski was Sharon Tate's um, husband at the time of her murder. And uh, while he was not present at the murder, he was in London at the time. Uh, it was his house and the, he was the father of the child with which Sharon Tate was pregnant with when she um was murdered by Man Charles Manson's followers mm -hmm. uh, in 1969. So this is uh, a brand new update for the film and one that might ruffle a few feathers because of the uh, controversial, the controversy surrounding Roman Polanski in general. Uh, it was in 1977, uh, he was arrested and charged with sexually assaulting um, a 13-year-old girl and he fled the U.S. Uh, before trial, the case went to trial and has been living in Europe in exile ever since. So uh, this, these events happened after the events of 1969 and uh, the Tate and the Sharon Tate's murder. So it's kind of in question whether Quentin Tarantino will delve into um, Polanski's past or whether it will be an, an issue at all in the movie, which is another, which is a whole other issue completely. Um, so it, we don't really know what it means by he'll play a key role because it seems like this movie will be told mostly from the point of view of the sort of um, underlings of the movie industry, the stuntmen, like uh, the role that Tom Cruise is reportedly up for, and um, other such sort of smaller people in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's the other um, lead that I kind of buried in this role is that Tom Cruise is up for the role of a stuntman, and Brad Pitt has supposedly uh, passed on the role. So this is uh, the, what we know so far of the as yet untitled Quentin Tarantino movie. And you mentioned DiCaprio, and I think he's supposed to be playing a TV actor who's trying to, like, make his big break in, in the movies. Is that right? Yes, he's playing an aspiring actor. And uh, Margot Robbie is also circling the role for Sharon Tate. Okay, interesting. So, um, yeah, this movie comes out on August 9th of next year, 2019. So there's probably still going to be plenty of time for us to talk about more casting updates and stuff as they uh, come along in the way. Um Brad, do you have any thoughts about uh, Polanski, the character of Roman Polanski playing a key role in this movie? I mean, it's it'd be one thing if they were making a movie about Roman Polanski and like romanticizing his life and, you know, telling a story about him and uh, making him out to be a hero or something like that. But he's, you know, 
just happens to be an integral part of this thing that happened in, you know, real life that's part of history. And mm-hmm. so to kind of cut him out just wouldn't make sense just to, you know, appease people who don't like who he is. There are plenty of movies that have been made about despicable people without making them out to be, you know, good characters or good people. So I, I feel like it's just, you know, it just comes with the territory. Yeah, and the idea of him playing a key character, I wonder if that means that that it's actually going to translate into a significant role or just a key character in that he is, as you mentioned, an important figure in this whole thing. And like like H.T. was saying, it's his house. You know, if, if that's the extent of what that means, you know, just his, uh, his involvement in this whole situation. But we'll have to wait until we get a little bit more information about that before we can fully speculate uh speaking of um not having all of the information and being able to (laughs) speculate the hell out of some things uh jj abrams the mystery master is coming back to hbo for a new sci-fi drama show brad tell us about this yeah so uh jj abrams was apparently pretty pleased with how hbo handled uh westworld which is a bad robot production and so he went with hbo who won a bidding war between um with over apple for his new series, which is called Demimond. And uh, it's the first time J.J. has actually written a sci-fi pilot episode since Fringe in 2008, so that's kind of a big deal. He's executive produced plenty of sci-fi series um, in the years since Fringe, but this is the first time he's actually written a spec script for a new new series. And so um, details are slim, but uh, apparently what we know right now is it's it's described as an intimate sci-fi fantasy drama and it focuses on this family who gets into a car crash, and the mother, who happens to be a scientist, ends up in a coma, leaving her daughter to start digging through some old experiments uh, in, of hers in the basement. And somehow she stumbled upon this other world where there's a mysterious, monstrous, oppressive force that exists in it, and her follow soon follows her into the world sometime after she discovers it. Um, and it's all very vague and mysterious uh, in the way that a lot of J.J. Abrams projects are. Um, right off the bat, I kind of get the vibe that maybe whatever this oppressive force is in this other world might serve as a metaphor for the grief and whatnot that the uh, daughter and father are dealing with, with the mother being in a coma. And I, um, But I also wonder if maybe there's more of a, a tangible link between whatever that world is and whatever is happening with the mother's health um you know that sounds like something that would be right up jj abrams alley as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. but um i mean either way i'm just i'm always excited when jj gets a new sci-fi series that he brings to the table especially when it's one that he's written himself uh he has a knack for finding very interesting shows uh with very um promising hooks and interesting premises you know that's that's why we got lost uh, that's why we got fringe and that's why we got westworld um, so I'm, I'm on board with whatever they have to do and knowing that HBO is in charge means that it's going to be something that's, uh, a little more edgy and, uh, perhaps satisfying than what network TV might usually offer. Yeah. And the plot for this reminds me just a little bit of a wrinkle in time, um, which we know is being adapted into a, a big screen movie from Ava DuVernay. Uh, I guess next month is when that comes out finally. Um, HG, do you have any thoughts about, uh, Demi Monday? What a weird title for a show. Do you have any, <laughs> any ideas about what, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of J.J. Abrams. I love Lost. I'm one of the few stark defenders of its finale. And I think that Fringe gets is 
highly underrated. So I am excited for whatever sci-fi pilot J.J. Abrams will bring on board. I do think that he is better as an ideas man, and that's why TV is kind of where he tends to flourish, because TV is sort of based on the premise of starting off with a really intriguing, really cryptic idea, and J.J. Abrams' mystery box, his whole concept of the mystery box is really well suited towards that, especially for TV pilots. So I'm I'm excited. I, just, I don't know much about the series aside from the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the title. I think it's very unique and um, doesn't roll off the tongue well, but it's something that has good SEO. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really excited to see it whenever it comes about. So Brad, the, the other big question with this is if Abrams is gonna be potentially involved with this show, when do you think we're going to see it? Because he's also pretty busy right now working on Star Wars Episode Nine. I mean, when it comes down to it, he he wrote the pilot already, and I, I can't imagine he's going to end up directing the pilot since, because he's going to be busy with Star Wars. I think it'll probably be a situation where he is kind of overseeing the projects in uh, the same way that Steven Spielberg executive produces a lot of movies and TV shows where – He's involved, but he's not necessarily the one making all of the key decisions. I think that Abrams will find a showrunner that he trusts and uh, other executive producers to kind of keep the show uh, and turn it into something that he, you know, wants to see. Because, uh, you know, he, he also has the that Castle Rock series that's coming out to Hulu, too, which is done by now. But if it's successful, then he'll have to follow that up with a new season, presumably. So I, I, I have a feeling that. Uh, he won't be too heavily involved in the trajectory of the series other than just being responsible for writing the pilot and maybe setting, you know, uh, the team of executive producers and writers on the path to where the show should go. Cool. All right. So from one TV project to another, let's jump over to from HBO to Fox. And Fox has apparently given a TV pilot order for a Gone Baby Gone adaptation. HT, what's up with this one? So Fox has ordered the pilot for an adaptation of Gone Baby Gone uh, based off of the novel by Dennis Lehane, which was was also the basis for Ben Affleck's adaptation, uh, which came out in 2007, right? 2007. Yes, 2007. Almost. This is coming almost 10 years later. So the pilot is written by Black Sales creator Robert Levine, and it'll be a one hour drama following the private detectives Patrick Kenzie and Angela Gennaro, who are, quote, armed with their wits, their street knowledge, and an undeniable chemistry, tackling cases in working-class Boston borough of Dorchester. So this will, it sounds like it's the pilot for a more streamlined sort of procedural take rather than the um, sort of cynical type uh, suspenseful drama that we saw uh, with Ben Affleck's film. But it uh, has not yet been greenlit for an entire season. It's just the pilot so far, but it's aiming for Fox's 2018 to 2019 TV season. And um, apart from Levine, it's also being executive produced by Levine and uh, the author Dennis Lehane. So, man, this just seems like uh, TV networks these days are really like going hard after anything with name recognition we've seen movies do this over the past i don't know 20 years or something like a take a hard turn toward adapting any sort of property that it has any familiarity that audiences you know will will bring their own recognition and, and baggage into something um and potentially go check it out just because they've heard of a property before but with like shows like lethal weapon and hawaii 50 and all these different things over the past you know 
10 years in TV, it really seems like this is a trend that is not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Brad, do you think there's a chance for a Gone Baby Gone show on Fox to be any good? Or is that something that uh, should probably better be left, you know, to to the um, the big screen format where they're going to have a, a lot more freedom to um, dive into the sort of darker, uh, yeah, like she was saying, sort of cynical nature of that story. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if anything, this this might just be like the jumping off point for to expand the characters in Gone Baby Gone to maybe becoming part of more of a broad crime procedural show or something like that. Um, I could easily see them using the story in Gone Baby Gone as a jumping off point and being like, okay, so this is the first season and then maybe the second season exploring something different using some of the same characters. Um, Fox has a penchant for, you know, doing crime procedurals like that, not nearly as much as CBS does. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to new adaptations like this, you you kind of just have to wait and see. You know, I, I wasn't necessarily uh, on board with the TV adaptation of Fargo when they first announced it, but that ended up being one of the best shows released that year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's uh, it can be hit or miss, but when it hits, you know, it, it can turn out pretty good. I would love to see them actually film this in Boston because that was such a huge part of Affleck's movie was really getting that that homegrown feel to that movie and that authenticity there. Um, I, I don't know if that's like a feasible thing for an entire television production to, <laughs> to set up, you know, uh, for a, a network show and, a, and a, something that's more procedural like this. But, uh, but that would be one way maybe for it to be able to sort of distinguish itself um, from some of the other more traditional network TV shows. Like I think there was a show called the Chicago code that was on a few years oh, ago. I love that show so yeah, much. Me too. Um, and that one, I think actually filmed a, a good portion of it, if not the whole thing in Chicago. And it really made a difference. You could tell that they weren't just on some studio backlot somewhere. They were actually, you know, out in, in real life locations. So I, I, I hope that, um, gone baby gone maybe has the ability to do something similar. Um, it should also be noted that, um, Dennis Lehane's original novel, Gone Baby Gone, was actually the fourth in a series uh, following these two detectives. So it actually kind of lends itself better to a more serialized television show, I guess, than uh, just a movie. So this might actually work out well for the Fox series if it comes uh, into play. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, I've never read those books. I'd only seen the movie, so that's cool to hear. Um, all right, let's jump to the next one, and that is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is supposed to play Leonardo da Vinci in a Leonardo da Vinci movie. Brad, what's up with this one? Uh, aside from saying Leonardo way too many times, <laughs> <laughs> um, not a whole lot. Uh, Paramount picked up um, this project, uh, the rights to a book written by biographer Walter Isaacson. Uh, last year, Walter Isaacson is the guy who uh, wrote the um, best-selling biography about Steve Jobs that Aaron Sorkin based his screenplay for the movie on. So he's a he's a very good biographer. He really digs into you know, um, a person's life and gives you the details that show us who they who they are and uh, what made them tick. And so uh, Paramount has just hired screenwriter John Logan to adapt the book. Uh, John Logan has written movies like Skyfall and Hugo and Gladiator. And uh, he's going to work on the script while Leonardo DiCaprio is off shooting the Quentin Tarantino movie that we talked about earlier. So the hope is that sometime after that movie is done, he'll be able to move on to this one. Um, DiCaprio has a little bit of a, uh, a soft spot for this one because his namesake actually comes from the fact that I guess when his mother felt him kick for the first time as a baby, 
She was looking at a Leonardo da Vinci painting at a museum in Italy at the time, which is why she decided to name him Leonardo, apparently. So that's pretty cool. Um, my only hope for this movie is that they uh, call it Leonardo da Movie, and then <laughs> I, I just feel like the marketing writes itself. Um so DiCaprio kind of has like for lack of a better term he sort of has a hard on for playing real life historical figures um you know <laughs> some that are that are more recent than others you know like the Wolf of Wall Street and stuff like that but um and even like The Revenant he played a character that is sort of a real guy but that movie was sort of an amalgamation of of real um historical fact and also a little bit of like folklore and and legend in there with that character um yeah but, Funnily uh, enough, actually, uh, John Logan uh, wrote The Aviator, which Leonardo DiCaprio played Howard Hughes in. So Yeah, man. So, like, how much further back in the timeline can Leo go playing these old... I, I know there's a, a movie adaptation of uh, of Methuselah, the, the biblical character who's, like, supposedly the oldest person to ever live. And I think Tom Cruise at one point was was up to play that role. I wonder if Leo <laughs> is, uh, is eyeing that just to sort of uh, span the entire breadth of human history. Um, H.G., do you have any thoughts? about leo playing leo in this movie well i think that he's been waiting his whole life to play this character <laughs> yeah um true. so yeah i'm i mean i don't really have any thoughts other than yeah everything that brad said and um it is funny though that uh, leonardo dicaprio he's not uh he's not getting up in his age per se but he's still a pretty young guy and leonardo dicaprio Da Vinci, I'm going to get so confused whenever I talk about this movie, <laughs> um, is generally depicted as much older. So I'm wondering if, if Leonardo DiCaprio is going to play the young, hot version of, uh. Uh, of Da Vinci, per se. <laughs> Maybe taking the Jude Law route. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, we'll have to wait and, and see uh, for that one. So let's, I mean, as if we hadn't said the name Leonardo enough in this podcast already, let's jump to another famous Leonardo, and that is uh, Leonardo of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, there is a new animated TMNT show coming out. This is the, I believe, the fourth Ninja Turtle show. There was the original animated series that ran from the late 1980s until the mid-90s, and then there is a live-action series that ran for one year, uh, a different animated series that ran from 2003 to 2009, and then a third animated series that ran from 2012 until last year. And now this fourth one is called Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it features a black April O'Neil. Um, that's kind of a cool thing. It's almost exactly what I have been wanting and, and have sort of been hinting at in articles that I've written about, you know, representation and pop culture and little things that uh, creators can do in order to, um, you know, expand their horizons and, and reach out and, you know, um, relate to different types of audiences instead of just, you know, staying in their in their traditional lanes um this is the kind of thing that i think works really well because there's nothing specifically about the character of april o'neill as she's appeared in any of the other ninja turtles adaptations that you know demands that she be a white woman with red hair uh, even though that is commonly how she's been uh, depicted um but interestingly um slash film contributor rosie knight took to twitter and mentioned that um that this is not actually the first time that there will be a black April O'Neil. Um, it sort of has been reported that way by Entertainment Weekly and some of these other places, but Rosie points out in this Twitter thread that we embedded in the article that you can read at SlashFilm.com uh, that um, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird in their original 
run of Ninja, Curtle, Ninja Turtles comics, April was often drawn as a black woman in those comics. Um, it was sort of a contentious thing back and forth between Eastman and Laird because Laird has always said that April was meant to be a white redhead, but Eastman, um, who I believe named the character after... Uh, his black girlfriend at the time of the the original comics creation um, often drew her as just like a straight up black woman in those comics. And it's kind of cool. Um, in Rosie's Twitter thread, she has a couple screenshots of some of the pages there. And you can definitely see that that's exactly what, what was happening there. So it's kind of cool that this whole thing is, is coming full circle. I mean, the Ninja Turtles have been like a cultural staple and, and a touchstone for generations of kids for years and years and years. But this is the first time that the character is going to be, you know, like explicitly a black woman in this television show aimed at kids. Um, there's also the the Ninja Turtles themselves have a whole new different design, and I'm interested to see what you guys think about a a black April and b a, you know more on a secondary level what you think about the designs of these new turtles. Um, HT, let's start with you. Yeah, I had no idea about the history of April O'Neil originally being a black character, and that's really exciting to me. Um, I really like the animation style for this. It's very stylized. It looks sort of similar to um, Samurai Jack, I guess I would say, from Cartoon Network. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. So I really like that style. I think it suits the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles really well. And um, I did watch oh, – I can't remember which – I think I watched the live action and um series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. So that Yikes. one I was really into. Um, <laughs> but I had I missed all the other series apparently. I did not know there are so many. So yeah, I think this is a this is a really good first step for a pre- representation in animated series. Um, well, not a first step. It's it's part of an ongoing trend that's going on right now and I'm really happy to see that happening. Brad, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I'm all about um, changing up, you know, the the race of characters who have been white for a long time simply because it's nice for people of other races to see themselves represented uh, in characters that have been around for a while. It, the, as long as you're not, you know, they're not changing the foundation of who the character is or, or, or what they are. And unless race is an integral part of their identity, it does no harm, no foul whatsoever. I think it's fantastic to see diversification in comic books and cartoons and movies and things like that. Um, as for the design of the, the show, I'm, I could take it or leave it. Um, I, I kind of I like I like the idea of um, what HT said. The, the there's a bit of a Samurai Jack influence there, but there's something about it that just seems a little too I don't know uh, otherworldly to me, and just just it feels like it's trying to be wild for wild's sake. Uh, I don't necessarily get like the 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 makeover as far as like how the turtles look themselves, but at the same time, this isn't really like for me anymore. Um, I've, I grew up with different Ninja Turtles, and those will always be my Ninja Turtles, and I don't really care about what's going on mm-hmm. with the new ones. You know, I was interested in the movies, but those completely, uh, you know, just derailed and did nothing for me. Um, <laughs> I, there's, there's something that's weird about this one, though, where it seems like they're getting super-powered or mystical, because, like, all their weapons are glowing, and April's on, like, this weird hovering scooter or something like that. I, I don't know. There's... <laughs> 
it seems like it's the the, the the wackiest iteration of the Ninja Turtles there's been, I guess. So I, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't crazy about the design when I first saw him. I thought it, it reminded me a lot of the old, like, uh, the kid characters that were in um, Burger King commercials. And you would always see, you know, like, <laughs> Kid Vid and those. I don't remember what their name was. Like, the Burger King Kids Club or whatever it was called back in the day. Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, um, oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it just sort of reminded me of that. But, but after HT mentioned Samurai Jack, which I haven't even seen but just i love the idea that you know something clicked in my head when you said that it just it makes more sense to me that these characters are so stylized and they have such um harsh lines on them if they're going to be you know sort of flying through space in in the same way that samurai jack does in what little i've seen of that show so um as far as the weapons yeah that (laughs) it really doesn't make a ton of sense to me what they're doing with that i mean even Raphael, who's like traditionally had um, well, his, his weapons, Psy, I think, the, the, yeah. uh, like the daggers, basically. It looks like he has, um, like, like billy clubs or something in his hand now, like police batons almost. Um, yeah, and, and Michelangelo has, like, it's, it's not really a nunchuck. It looks like it's a handle that has, like, a claw that shoots out of it that's attached yeah. to, like, a, a chain or something. I mean, I guess they have to do enough to differentiate this version from a lot of the uh, the previous versions, because as we mentioned, there have been a ton. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's part of the uh, the technological updates that need to come with, uh, with keeping up with the times. But, like, Donatello, I think, is supposed to be, like, a master coder in this one instead of just uh necessarily like uh, you know smart with being able to break things apart and put them back together so um yeah who knows but uh but i'm glad that we're all sort of on the same page in in terms of um the representation stuff because i think that's really important uh and that that should be cool for a lot of people i also want to list off the uh, cast list here in case anybody's interested in that um omar miller will play rafael ben schwartz uh from parks and recreation is playing leonardo josh brenner from silicon valley is playing donatello brandon michael smith from you're the worst is playing michelangelo cat graham is playing april o'neill she's from uh, the vampire diaries and eric bauza is playing splinter the uh the rat who trains the turtles in martial arts so uh yeah there's no i don't think the show has an official release date yet but it is going to be, uh, be premiering sometime later this year i think on nickelodeon so keep an eye out for that and i think that's pretty much going to bring us to the end of this uh today's episode of slash film daily this week's worth of slash film dailies um you can find more about all these stories on at slashfilm.com of course uh this podcast is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television as well as deeper dives into the great features at slashfilm.com you can subscribe on itunes google play overcast all of the popular podcast apps out there please send us your feedback questions and comments at peter at slashfilm.com and be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in that email in case we end up reading it on the air in a future episode please rate and review the podcast on itunes that really does help us a lot and spread the word pass it around to all your friends that would be great uh let's go around the circle really quickly and just tell people where they can find more of our work on the internet ht let's start with you you can find my work at slashfilm.com and i'm on twitter at htranbui and brad i also write at slashfilm.com and you can find me on twitter at ethan underscore Anderton, and also my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And my name is Ben. You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and you can track me down on Twitter at Ben Pears. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you guys on Monday.